Welcome back to another episode of the Rice and Mike's podcast. I'm your host, Tung Nguyen, and today I'm joined by the independent federal member, Fowler, Dai Lee. Thank you, Tung. How are you going today? Ah, you know, it's been a busy week, but, uh, you know, feeling like our office is so busy. Um, We have meetings back to back. We do community, obviously, um, or community forums, so we're trying to get insights into issues that are impacting our community of Fowler. So, you know, so it's really... Full on. <laughs> yeah, we, we've uh, we tried to set this up back when you were still campaigning last year. Um, I've actually got one of your pamphlets from that day still. Oh, that's about a it year did, ago. It did save me a bit of time uh, with my homework because it does list out a bit of your your background and, and yeah. your origin stories. So I was like, okay, I have to keep this to yeah. save me some oh, that's time. That's good. <laughs> uh, so let's start from the beginning. Dai represents our local is it government area, LGA. Uh, right well, so there are three levels of government in Australia. One is local, um, which our local LGA is Fairfield City Council. There's the state level and within that LGA there are about two and a half state seats, if you can call it that. So where we are in Cabramatta, it belongs to the state seat of Cabramatta. And then Cabramatta sits within the bigger boundary of a federal electorate. And so I'm the federal member for Fowler, which covers Cabramatta right up to Abbotsbury, Edensa Parks and Johns Park, right around to a part of Liverpool, yeah, yeah. Warwick Farm, and then Lansvale, Caramar, a bit of Fairfield East, some of Villawood. I don't know how you remember all these. And then Canleyvale, Canley Heights, Cabramatta, St Johns Park, uh, Mount Pritchard. So mm-hmm. I, I, I'm remembering because obviously I'm drawing the map. If you look yeah, at yeah. the boundaries, it's just going goes around. But yeah, those are the su- some of the suburbs. Mm. There's also Wakeley's in it, Bonnerig is in it. Uh, so part of Bonnerig on the side of uh, Bonnerig High School, not on the other side of Elizabeth Drive. That's not part of Fowler. Right. But on this side of Bonnerig High School, you know, Elizabeth Drive, where yeah, Bonnerig yeah. High School is. Yeah. yeah. And it uh, goes up to Mount Pritchard. Oh, okay. So that's part of, yeah. Yeah, so let's start from the beginning. How did you end up to where you are now? Like, let's, let's start from the, from the origins. I understand you were, you also had a similar story to my parents with you were a refugee from Vietnam um, and then you were in the, uh, I think you were in the Philippines for a couple of years. Yes. Um, can you cover just how you ended up um, in a spot like this? My family escaped Vietnam or, or Saigon, as it was called, at the end of the war in April 75. And I was seven years of age, and I remember what happened, how we had to run. It was chaotic, um, mm. chaos, people screaming, children crying. It just, uh, that memory of that day still very much, obviously, imprinted in my mind. And uh, as a young seven-year-old, you had no idea what was going on. Yeah. You didn't know why people were running you know, it was just my mother, my two younger sisters. I'm the I was or I'm the eldest, and we had a a maid who were who was living with us. Who then we adopted. The day when that we ran, she had to run with us because there was oh. there was no time for people to pack their things. We ran literally. 
um, no time to pack anything at all. Just my mother just took us, the kids, and um, perhaps, you know, a handbag of probably some little things, but mm. you... you, so you the clothes no, you're wearing? No, no clothes, yeah. no nothing. What? So we, we only wore, we only, uh, you know, the clothes we had was what we had. Yeah, yeah. Uh, we wore that day when we had to run. So we got onto a, um, a big, big boat. I remember there, from memory, of, of course, as a seven-year-old, it felt like a big boat. It felt like mm. there were thousands of people, but I'm sure there were just hundreds. But it felt like everybody was scrambling to get onto this boat. And I, you know, I was just so confused. I did not know what was going on. Um, but I remember when I got onto that boat and I looked back at... Um, Saigon, if you can call it that, and there are people who could not get on the boat with us, um, mm. and this boat was just taking off. I remember looking back, and I still see people, you know, obviously stuck wherever. Can't remember where we, we left from, but um, then on, on a distance, there was this explosion, a big explosion. There was this big black smoke of mushroom smoke in uh, mushroom-shaped smoke in the mm. air. Do you know what that was? Uh, and, yeah, so we, that, that boat took us to the Philippines. I found out it was the Philippines because we did not know where we were taken to. We went to this place and there were military-dressed people um, waiting for us to take us off this boat and then took us to a kind of a, a, a building that was just empty and then thousands of Vietnamese with their kids you know, were pushed into this place. It's, it's very different to hear from uh, maybe your side because my parents, they don't really share these kind of stories with us. No. They're just kind of like, oh, we, we just came by boat, that's it. And they, we worked to pay for our house and, and they just don't really talk about the past like that. So I, I feel like it's a very different memory from your side, especially the Cabramatta you grew up yeah. when, when you came here would have been a lot different to the Cabramatta that, that, Absolutely. That's, that is now. Absolutely. How do you feel like how Cabramatta was when you grew up versus now? Uh, so we came here and it was known as Vietnamata back then. And uh, before we got to Cabramatta, we were resettled in Wollongong. Mm. Um, there was a migrant hostel in Wollongong, if Ferrameadow it was called. And we stayed there for a few years. I went to school, uh, primary school in Ferrameadow, uh, went to high school, part of my high school in Wollongong. Before we were, you know, brought up here to Bosley Park, and when we first got here, Cabramatta was, from memory, was filled with actually Vietnamese, but Italians and Europeans. So oh, there were a lot of Italians and a lot of Yugoslavians. Back then, there was known as Yugoslavians. So mm. there were more Italian and Yugoslavian people back then, and Vietnamese and Southeast Asian, really. You know, yeah. a big proportion was Vietnamese. It was bustling, but what we see today compared to back then, mm. it's, of course, it has grown yeah. so much more, <laughs> probably 10 times. But that time, the Vietnamese um, community experienced a huge issue around drugs. So for my mother, it was like, you know, we were in Boston Park, so we were a bit far, further away from Cabramatta, but we had to come to Cabramatta to do the shopping. And when you mm. come to Cabramatta to do the shopping, back in those days, there were lots of, you know, kids, young kids, loitering in the street, you know, selling drugs. I ended up becoming a journalist for the Liverpool champion. Mm. I was the first ever ethnic, as they called it, ethnic reporter. And they 
employed me in order to go out there and get the kinds of stories that people of Anglo-Australian background can't get into because that this was such a big Asian community. So they brought me on. And so I was able to go out and interview and speak with young people and was able to speak to the older generation too because they don't speak, they don't trust uh, the media. So yeah. I was the person that they would talk to when I go and interview them. Wait, so you talk to some of the, the people drug dealing on the street? Yeah, so I wouldn't say... So these are the kids that were obviously left homes, uh, le- left their, their broken homes because mm. quite a lot of the families who arrived in Australia from refugee camps back in those days, the mums and dads just went straight away to work in factories or sewing back in those days. Uh, yeah. We had a textile, yeah. we had a textile manufacturing industry. Still very common now. Uh, yeah, but less textile because obviously the, our manufacturing sector has died down mm. has diminished really but a lot of families here were sewing in the homes were working in factories and they were just toiling away and they did not they think well we're here now you guys just go to school and behave and do well they just put their trust and in then they put trust. their trust in the system and they don't talk to their kids yeah because they're just working too much they're just working yeah. they don't talk to their kids they don't they think that we're now in a free world in the west so therefore the system is much better. So therefore I think they relied on the system to ensure that we succeed. Uh, yeah. But of course, once you get here, there's always that identity crisis. Yeah. Identity crisis in a sense that you're brought up as a, from my perspective, as a Vietnamese daughter, there are lots of expectations. There were, there were expectations that I should become a lawyer. And I wasn't the most studious person I didn't feel like I wanted to become a lawyer. A lot of my friends around me either started to become a lawyer, started to become a pharmacist, uh, uh, a doctor, but I just wasn't great at school. So I did okay, but I think there was that expectations a lot in our refugee community Mm -hmm. for kids to do really well. And the kids can't fit in into the system uh, because back in those days, they were, uh, you know, you go to a primary or a school today, there are predominantly Asian faces or faces of Assyrian kids who arrived here. It's very mono, almost monoculture. Yeah. But back in those days, it's more mixed, you know, so you have the the white Australians, you have the Europeans. So mm. the Asian kids probably have felt really out of place and those who couldn't study didn't do well and at home they don't have that relationship with their parents and they're confused about where they are. So I think a lot of that really impacted a lot of the young people, especially from broken homes. And I would say I came from a broken home, but I was lucky that I did not end up down the path like many of those kids ended up in. And I was fascinated to understand why was it that a lot of these kids ended up on the streets, living together, forming gangs and doing all of these things that was giving our community a bad name in the media. And I just yeah, spent time working with, uh, back then it was known as Cabramatta Community Centre, oh, yes. which is on yeah. um, 165 Railway yeah. Parade. It's now known as Core Community Service. Oh. Um, but back then that building was known as Cabramatta Community Centre. 
and I worked a lot, or not I worked, but I went and spoke a lot of, spent a lot of time with the youth workers trying to get stories. So my interest was to get stories, to understand yeah, yeah. the thinking, why people do things the way they do and understanding the story behind it. So I spent a lot of time sort of at night time when there were buses to go out to connect with these street kids, as they were called, and giving them food. And also they were trying to get these kids off heroin and some of these buses were trying to connect these kids to a methadone program as a way to get them off the street and off selling. But um, of course, it was a decade of challenges for the community in Cabramatta with the street kids. Was this in the heroin. 1990s? Yeah. Yeah. That's why my parents were so scared of me going to Cabra High. Yeah. They were like, they sold drugs everywhere. But exactly. Then I, exactly. I went to high school there from like 2009. Yeah. And it wasn't like that at all. No, it wasn't. Exactly. But they still have this perception. There, yeah. It's like, there's fights everywhere. Someone's going to tell you to give yeah. drugs to someone for $10. Don't do it. I'm yeah. like, there's nothing to that. There's yes. Nothing to that. Back in those days, it was very, it was pervasive. Yeah. It was so bad. I mean, I didn't go to, again, my, my, my mother didn't want me to go to any of the schools here. So I, was, I went to Sir College in Maryland, which mm-hmm. is a Catholic all-girls school. But that was, you know, like we had to travel outside in order to yeah. go to school rather than here. But yeah, so that was, um, they were, you know, interesting times. I, sorry, I, I do realise I did cut into your uh, origin story. So just for our listeners who might have been following that intently, let's go back to when you were in the Philippines. Oh, uh, yeah. Uh, so what happened after that? You were there for a couple uh, so of years. We were there for a couple of years. And then uh, and then there was a, um, I think uh, our, our, we were waiting to be resettled. The majority of Vietnamese refugees want to be resettled in the US, mm. the United States of America or France. Because that's where the I think the linkage between like for, the, the language or something. I understand um, it's some the of connection it's... in a sense that of because obviously um, the French try to colonize us, the yeah. Americans try to colonize us. For some reason, we don't want to go to those. Can't, don't ask me; it doesn't make sense. I know, but that's that's where it's like Stockholm syndrome or something. Yeah, yes, yeah. that's where somehow our community just wanted to flock to those two countries the yeah. most. And it took I don't know. It took a while for many of the Vietnamese in. Um, in the Philippines to be resettled. One day, my mother said, "We're going to leave this camp in um, in the, you know, uh, it's called the displaced people camp. It's called displaced. It's where people, refugees, Vietnamese refugees who left Vietnam were yeah. were placed, so that we can just live together as a commune and waiting for the resettlement. So you were just there for three years, just yeah, sitting so, around. Yeah, basically. yeah. Well, you know, you you're in the community, you know, so you you went to a, a local that they sent you to a local school, but it's oh, okay. you know, so it wasn't um, it, it wasn't a proper system in a, for us because mm. we're not we're not we're stateless, we're not citizens, so mm. it, it doesn't whether or not we turn up or not, it, it's not oh, okay. It's like there's no point. You're not in the role. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We're not. We're not. We're not citizens of that country. We yeah. were refugees, and they were just pr- providing for us to go out into the community. And then, so one day, my mother said, "Look, I don't know." She packed. We had one suitcase because that's what we obviously built over the last three years in the Philippines. Mm. A few clothes, <laughs> items. <There's> one suitcase. <laughs> one, <laughs> and um, a small one. Yeah. I can guarantee you that. And we. Um, she took us to this beach one day and then at night time I realised there were all these other uh, Vietnamese refugees from the same area as us were sitting there. There was about 36 of us and then they told us to get onto a little boat and I thought, where the hell are we going? Like, I got no idea. We got onto this boat and 
the next day the boat set sail somewhere and I think we spent about 10 days on this boat and uh, I thought we were going to die on this boat because we experienced storm. The boat was smaller compared to the first one. Wait, wait, sorry, was this boat just a random one you guys turned up to? That someone... Oh, they had orga- so they had organised for another escape. Another one. <laughs> another one. So it's not an escape, but it's just like they... I mean, you're free to leave, right? So it's um, not really... Well, I don't know. I've, I mean, <laughs> yeah, we were probably free, but we were in the camp in the Philippines. We we're nobody in the Philippines. So yeah. they probably were looking for... I don't know where they were sailing to. Don't ask me, because the guy who actually was sailing that boat was, an, uh, I think, a mechanic. <laughs> so he had, you know, like... I've got no idea. Read a I, few books or something. <laughs> I, I don't know how they got this boat. I've got no idea who the people were yeah. other than there were refugees who had been the same area camp as us and they just decided to get on this boat one day to go. But it took us 10 days. Well, 10 days before the Hong Kong patrol boat pulled us in. So the Hong Kong patrol boat pulled us into Hong Kong and, uh, and once we got to Hong Kong, I thought, where are we? Isn't that the other way? I've got no idea. Philippines Tung. North. I've got no idea, Tung. Do not ask me. I was not. I was not navigating. That's probably uh, why it was. It was just the mechanic who was sailing the wrong direction. I was. Na- I was not down. navigating that boat. Uh, I was by then ten years of age, and all I just was confused again, thinking, "Why are we here?" But you know, as a as a dutiful daughter or child of a Vietnamese family, you do not question. You do not ask mm-hmm. questions. You just follow. Yeah. Right, you would you obey. You obey. Yeah. So we just obey and do not question, not even in our head. Yeah. In our head, you're thinking what's going on, but you do not even have that mindset to say what the hell. You just followed. Uh, so the Hong Kong patrol boat pulled us in, probably ten days out. In those ten days, we almost died at sea, like almost died, and um, then we were then put in refugee camps in Hong Kong. So we were in, in refugees, another, this time, Hong Kong, though, had more of a process system in place mm-hmm. compared to the Philippines, because Hong Kong was then a British colony, so they had an actual proper process system in place, mm-hmm. and so we were processed, there were camps set up, there were three lots of camps, and I think the first one was when you cannot leave the campus all. You had to be there, you were locked in, you cannot go anywhere. Just a prison. Um, yeah, it's a camp. I wouldn't call it a prison, but <laughs> yes, you couldn't leave. Yeah. You couldn't go anywhere, you, were, there were, you just had to stay in there. Yeah. And then they took us to another camp. And then the third camp was where they call it freedom camp. In freedom camp was when you were actually ready to then be you're accepted. You're accepted into to Hong be Kong. resettled into a, a third world country. Oh, uh, sorry, you, you're accepted to into a country where you've applied to. So the first camp is where they process you. Yeah. They check your health and everything, and you stay there. You stay with thousands of people. You're on the ground sleeping with, and you know, they give you a mat, a mat, and you lie there on a, on a cement floor yeah. uh, with thousands of people in this warehouse. And then they took you to another place whereby there's a bit more of a, a structure, which is a kind of a bunk bed. And then the third one is more of a bunk bed where you have, they have rows and rows of bunk beds. And then how it's separated is just a thin blanket between so that you're separated from another family. But this is just a yeah, blanket, yeah. right? So we actually applied to go to the US. And then, um, then, then she decided, she goes, no, actually, I'm not going to go to the US. 
She was told about Australia, a big island that had the best education system in the world. It's an island that's far away from wars. So she chose Australia, not knowing where Australia was. But who told her that? I don't know, somebody... She just heard it. She <laughs> just heard it. I think the people who were processing the application. Just in the line. <laughs> so uh, so I, remember, I remember her telling me, though, she goes, oh, you know, they offered us to go to the United States, but I decided that I'm going to apply for this island called Australia. I mean, like I was 10, like... <laughs> What is I think it uh, doesn't mean doesn't mean anything to me, but I think she probably had to tell somebody, and she who could she tell? She had nobody, yeah. so she told her eldest daughter. And what could I say? <laughs> uh, my thought was that does that mean we have to stay in the camp longer? Because yeah. if that's your main ex- concern. Yeah, yeah. So for me, if you're accepted, and you then say, "Oh no, mm. can I go to another country?" I don't know how long that would take for us to wait further. Yeah. By that stage, I think we were about nine months or something in Hong Kong. And then, you know, we were accepted very quickly by Australia. Oh, so there wasn't much delay? No, because Australia had just opened up its... Australia had just come out of the white Australia policy. I don't Mm. know if you you studied this. I've heard a little bit about it. So the white Australia policy was very strong, which is basically keep Australia white, right? Mm. And then under Malcolm Fraser, the then Prime Minister of Australia said, no, we need to play a role in this settlement of Vietnamese refugees because of the whole Vietnam War and our role in it. So then he started to push for Australia to open its door to the refugee settlement. And I think because of that, you know, Australia was processing Vietnamese refugees much quicker. That's my belief. Um, And, you know, subsequent years I did look into the whole... Um, settlement of Vietnamese refugees in Australia and Malcolm Fraser did play a huge role in making sure that the processing that the settlement of refugees were had the support of the bipartisan which is the federal parliament both Mm. you know Labour or the opposition and the Liberal government at the time which was led by Malcolm Fraser yeah so we came here in December 79 yeah it's uh it's actually so long you, were ago. A lot, you, you weren't even a cell. No, I was not. You were not <laughs> even not a exist. cell. <laughs> uh, so Daly is actually now the first refugee and Vietnamese Australian to be elected in the Australian House of Representatives. For a lot of people, they wouldn't really get how a lot of that works. I don't know if it's just maybe my circle or the people that I speak to, but a lot of the people that I know aren't really in touch with politics. Would you happen to know or might know why that be the case? Look, I think um, our community in particular are not engaged with politics because of what happened in Vietnam. The war, the politics of the war, that whole political system that was so disorganised and obviously it caused chaos, it caused disruption and families fled mm. as a result of that war. So there's still that history in, I think in the minds of our parents who said, we're here now, we're in a free country, mm. therefore it's safe. That's all I care for is that it's going to be safe for myself, for my children. They go to school, they be successful, uh, make money, you know, buy a house, have a family. That's all yeah. they cared for. And so they said, so dis- detached from the fact that because they said, well, we're in the West now. The politics here is, is, is freedom. Yeah. The politics here is that it's safe and that the government can look after us. We don't have to pay a role. 
and that's the reason probably why we did not engage or we did we don't engage and we think we now safely and we have such a great system that looks after those who can't be looked after that we think well we don't have to run away again so why do we have to play a part in it mm. we don't have to because it's it's okay well how about people in the younger generation do you think they're more in touch with politics now but uh, my perspective I, doesn't seem like people are really in tune with it uh, so I think there are certain group of young people who are actually now engaged uh, because they've you know those who who are born here educated here have been active at university level or within the community are seeing that when you go out to try and ask for you know I don't know for instance as somebody who's who's old and aging and you you need care and mm. um, you need more resources for that and if you don't see that there's resources being put into our area some young people are saying well what can we do how can we make that change how yeah. can we make that difference right but then there are a certain group of young people who are just focus on business and think, look, I don't care about politics really. Mm. I just want to make money. I just want to just have a life and just get on with it. And I probably was in that path as well. Like I, I had a small business. I was a journalist and yeah. I just thought life is so comfortable. I don't need to make any difference because it's comfortable for me. It's comfortable that I can go to work, earn an income, pay off my debts and buy a house. Why should I worry about somebody else? Mm. But... When Cabramatta in 2008, they were asking for a car park. So there was oh, so, yes. so, so, so the car park, if you see the Dutton Lane car park now, yeah. you, I don't know if you will recall it, but it was one level of car parking. It was just there yeah, on the ground. One yeah. level on the gr- ground. And on this one was an old concrete car park that was built in the 1980s. Yeah. That's the only car park and that concrete. And Cabramatta was experiencing growth. Yeah, huge. And people were saying... And the thing was that people had to pay 50 cents to use a toilet. I remember that distinctly. Yeah. So I'm thinking, I don't think there's anywhere in this country where you have to pay 50 cents to use a toilet. I'm thinking, why is our community being asked to pay 50 cents to use a toilet? Yeah. And I kind of got frustrated. And the thing for me was that as a journalist, I stumbled into journalism by accident in the 90s. And through journalism, I learned that you can question. I, I was not brought up to question, but through journalism, I was. I learned that I can question. I can question anybody. It's different, yeah, from how we're, we're growing up. Yeah, so I can question the prime minister. I can question any person who is supposed to be the leader of the country or the world. Power, yeah. And I thought, wow, I can do that. And that meant for me that, I can question those who are elected in our community here, supposed to be to represent the community, mm. why have not they addressed the issue of the car park? I remember I did a, um, a campaign for the car park out here and, oh my God, this, this area has never seen hundreds, I think there were over a thousand people gathering in the street of John Street, never, ever before. So this is in 2008. 2008, yeah, yeah, 2008, 2009, where... I was saying we need a car park on the west side, right? Mm. And, um, you know, I had never been involved in campaigning before, ever. It so seems that very was, scary. Like, it's not something that 
normal Asians people. Would do. That's right, exactly. <laughs> you just always just like keep your head down, just go to work. Exactly, keep anything. your head head down. Do not cause trouble. Yeah. Do not rock the boat. What are you doing? But I think being a journalist by that stage, I've been a journalist for you know sixteen, seventeen years. So I had the skill set to be able to go out and talk and not feel scared. But that's because of, of more than a decade of being a journalist, a filmmaker. So in 2008, I was already an established journalist, uh, an established filmmaker. So I have traveled the world to make films and come back. And oh, so wow. that didn't really, to standing there, slightly daunting because, oh my God, you can stand behind a camera or a mic and you talk to thousands of people, but you're not facing thousands of people on the street. So, you know, slightly daunting, but... I was able to handle it. So that's how the start of my political journey began. What would you think would be the best way to increase engagement in politics for people in the younger demographic? So what I say to people when I go out is I said to them, I said, don't think that running a business is not linked to politics or going to school is not linked to politics or buying a house is not linked to politics. Everything is linked to politics. Until we connect that, we won't see the importance of politics um, mm. in terms of legislations. Politics means legislations, how you can shape legislations and how you can fight for funding for an area. Since my election to federal parliament, it was just so surreal that I was able to amend legislations that will help a community like Fowler where there are... 50% plus of the population speak a, ling- a language other than English, uh, where I uh, made it an amendment to legislation that would ensure that there is material in languages to our community, to a community like ours, when it comes to fair work. In, uh, the Fair Work Commission is where you go to when you work mm. for an organisation and if, you know, if there are strikes or if you get dismissed or yeah, if you've got, yeah. got to do with your employment... At the moment, the Fair Work Commission doesn't provide things in languages. So I was able to amend that legislation, which means that the Fair Work Commission will have to provide material in languages to a community like Fowler and also to do community outreach when things changes in languages. So it's the small things like that that people will not know. Yeah, exactly. I was like, isn't that a standard? Don't always all forms come in every language? No, no, it's not legislated. Yeah. Some departments will do it because they do it, they think they, they need, but it's not legislated, which means mm. is, if it's legislated, it's in the law, which means it is mandatory that it has to be done. Right? So you can't say, oh, look, it's, we can't do it uh, if you ask somebody and they yeah, say, oh, yeah. we can't because it's not, we do, we're not required to. Uh, we're not required to. Yeah. So there's a lot of that, oh, we're not required to. Uh, we're not required to by the law. But if you make those as a law then they can't say it's not required. So, but that's just one legislation. Yeah, exactly. That's just one. Um, I'm the first ever Vietnamese refugee elected to federal parliament and elected by the people. Hmm. Yeah, uh, look, this can go on to explain to people what that means because normally when you elect people, you elect by the party. So when you go and vote, you vote for Labour or Liberal. So it's a bi- bi- two pa- Australia has only got two parties. So even though it's... Well, the two major parties. Two major parties, voting. yeah. That's right. Two, two major parties mainly are the ones that control yeah. the country, make legislation, make laws, state, federal, and to some extent local as well. Mm. 
And because those parties have been in existence for hundreds of years or whatever, people only know the party. They don't know if you were to exactly. run under a banner, they vote for the banner above you because they know the ban- they, they know the name of the brand. Yeah, yeah. Right. So you buy that that brand. So to be elected as somebody on your on my own independent independent yeah. my name was a challenge, especially for this area. This area Fowler has always always as they call it, belong to, belong to the major party of the Labour Party. Yeah. It belongs to. And so I disrupted that system because for the first time... Um, I remember reading about that in the, the news. It was, uh, they said Fowler was a Labour safe seat. Yes. And then that's <laughs> it right. just completely changed after the Absolutely. Election. Look, you know, people know me and know that I've worked in this area. I had the support, of course, of the mayor as well, um, who was an independent mayor. But then we also had a candidate like Christina Keneally, who lifted the whole profile of this election, of the last election, to a different level because she was from the northern beaches, like from a place called Scotland Island. Scotland Island, which is a very prestigious, privileged island with those who've just got so much money living and the Labour Party decided that this seat belonged to them and put her here. So, and I think that really went against a lot of the Labour voters. But in a sense, and at the same time, I think the community realised, hang on, we've got a good alternative. Mm. So it's not like, you know, just somebody that doesn't really care, that's somebody who's just a face, but somebody who actually has has worked in the community and it was a team effort as well out here and so I think the community knew of my work of the council's work and decided you know at a time when everybody voted for Labour this seat the safest seat in the country yeah, went so to an said. independent because <laughs> <laughs> uh, growing up your name did come up a lot um, just whenever my parents had to take me to, to well I was still young then but I had to go with them when they had to vote because uh-huh. I was still young and then your name would always pop up all the time. Mm. And um, I think what's interesting is during election times, you see all these people's names come up. Oh, vote for me, vote for me. But I've never heard of them before. It's like, oh, so suddenly you want my vote when yeah. it's time for election. But where were you, you know, when it's not election time, what are you doing outside? And I think a lot of the time it's mostly your stories, Frank Carbone. Yep. Um, I see most of their, their work. Uh, maybe it's just the Facebook algorithm or something, but there, your, your guys' work seems to be popping up on my feed mostly, yeah. uh, which is interesting, yeah. So the fact that you were campaigning for a while... 14 what, years, I think. What a lot of people <laughs> would um, like to know is, how does it work? You're campaigning for 14 years. Like, how does your salary get paid? How do you decide to just... I don't know, I want to start trying to campaign to get in. How, does it, how do you support yourself? Obviously, I had a job in 2008, part-time job, and... When you campaign at a local level, you pay your own, you pay for the campaign out of your own pocket. So you pay, yeah, so you, you you know, and and once I got elected to council in 2012, I quit, well, I actually, I still work, no, I still work for a, um, I I went and I worked for government, but then I also worked for a private company in 2012. For two years, I worked with, it's a a water, Belocca Water, so the communication uh, manager, and also try to run my um, social media business. Dawn, mm. I, I ran that. 
I did not make money from that, but the marketing thing, I, you know, I got a salary. Well, what is Dawn, just for context for so listeners? So Dawn is a, a not-for-profit organization that I set up in 2014. It, it was initially called Diverse Australasian Women's Network. That's where the initial came from, Dawn. Mm. And then a lot of the, and I was running forums to bring these Asian Australian women together to talk about the lack of leadership of their ability to progress to leadership roles across our mainstream institutions. Because if you look at our mainstream institutions, uh, corporations, government agencies in particular, the high level and members of parliament, it's predominantly Anglo-Saxon men in particular, and you know, an Anglo-Saxon Celtic women or, or men. And I wanted to change that. I, I felt that Australia, 25%, if you look at statistically, Australia-wide, 25% of population is from a non-English-speaking background. So I think that we have contributed enough to build this economy, this society, that we should have the ability to be at the decision-making table, be it in a corporate level, be it a government agency, be it a government or being in politics. And so I want to drive that conversation to get people to start thinking about what role they can play at that leadership level. So we, we ran that regularly with corporates, um, starting on with corporate first, because corporates at that time was looking at how did they diversify their boards and all yeah. that stuff. So I, I worked along with that. And then eventually I just dropped the Asian Australian women and just keep the name Dawn of a new era of leadership because there are men of diverse background who were saying to me, if you think you've got a challenge in stepping into the leadership roles in mainstream institutions, Give a second thought to us men who have more of a challenge because we are males and we are Asian or we are mm. of South Asian background because the male aspect has more of a challenge than being a woman. And I never thought about that. Obviously, being a woman, you don't think about yeah. a male. But that then, I then changed. I just dropped the Asian Australian women and I said, okay, well, dawn a new era of leadership. And so I drove a lot of conversations from 2014, you know, around the leadership aspect but so, yeah, so I had Dawn running as a not-for-profit. I then ha- had a job as a marketing person. But then whenever there's an election, I funded myself. Then in 2014, I stopped working because I had cancer. I had uh, breast cancer. And that took me a year to recover. Uh, I went through chemo and radiation. But I was still on council. I was still working. On council, you get, a, you get a, an allowance of about $30,000 a year. So that's all. That's that's. Yeah, it's, it covers like your rent and utilities, basically. Yeah. yeah. So that's um that's you get that, and um I didn't work, so that was enough to sustain me. You know, my husband was working. We had a son, and by that stage, he was almost finishing. I think, well, he, no, he finished three years ago. But my husband was providing for us. He said, "Look, if that's what you're passionate about, making a difference in your community, he'll he'll support." And you know, I've worked for twenty years, so. Our mortgage wasn't such a huge thing. Mm. I wasn't about being rich. I was about being able to provide a roof over the heads for myself, for my son, and we can do that. And so my aim wasn't to get rich. My aim was to be able to sustain and not to struggle. And we were at that, you know, we were able to do that. So therefore I was lucky that I'm able to then give, have the time to give back to my community. So let's go to the uh, election period. A lot of people 
wanted me to ask how did the different papers work they just sort of put the numbers on and it's like okay i'll just put in the box but what do they mean what does the little you know the small paper do uh which i believe is the it's house the ballot is the house of reps yep. yeah and then that big, the big paper sheet. is called the uh senate anyway what, what's the difference so i will two? and i'll share with you but i'll actually actually am going to do a series of of those videos to explain to oh, people okay. um down the track as well because that's one of the things that i think that confuses not just actually our community it confuses people in general, generally yeah. <laughs> because politicians don't talk about the political system yeah, yeah. i think their aim is that it's better for people to get confused than to educate people. <laughs> Why is that? Uh, and that way, they will just get the two major parties and nobody else, no independents, no other, uh, get get the balance. Yeah. Um, so I'll start with the federal level first because I'm in federal. Yeah. So you have two houses, two levels of, of representations. One is called the lower house mm-hmm. and one is called the Senate, which is the upper house. And the Senate is where... Uh, legislations go up there to be approved and supply in terms of okay approve if it if you send legislation up there if the senate approves then that means it can come back to down to the lower house and then it gets implemented so policies get made in the lower house do they ever get made in the upper house or, or, uh, or the senate no, it goes the bot, bot to the lower house. Oh, so, they so they're just, just there to approve. And then they get the then they approve, but they amend. They can amend. Oh, they, okay. They can right. amend. You know, so the lower house can amend as well, but the upper house is the one. They, they amend. get the final say. The final say. Yeah. Well, final say in collaboration with the lower house representation. So, but <laughs> generally speaking, legislations get made at the lower house. Yeah. And then it goes up to get amended mm-hmm. and approved, and then comes back, and then it gets sent out from the lower house to as say, okay, it's now approved, now it gets implemented by the various um, departments or by it'll have an impact, it, it get legislated. So the lower house is a smaller ballot. And that's represented with the people in our area, right? So that's yeah, where so, you, so that's each, 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 each electorate has lower house and upper house yeah. uh, select election. So say for instance in Fowler, the electorate of Fowler had, I can't remember how many candidates we had, we had uh, me. Like six or something. We had uh, Liberal. We had Labor. We had Greens. We mm-hmm. had UAP. We had One Nation. I think we had six. One had Nation. Six. That's very bold to be. Uh, yeah, we trying had six. to get elected here. Yeah, we had six <laughs> candidates, and then it goes into a draw. Then the names get pulled out, and mm-hmm. then it gets uh, on the ballot. That you see how the names gets, you know, from yeah. the top to the bottom. It very much dependent on how that it was drawn out of a ballot. Once the candidates have been announced, mm. you go into a room with the AEC, it's the Australian Electoral Commission, and yeah. they will draw out the name and they say, your name will be the first on the ballot paper, the second on the ballot paper. Oh, okay. And then the ballot gets then printed. So that's how when you go into vote, you see the ballot with the names. So they get randomised in order, you mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah okay, yeah, that yeah. makes sense. And then the same thing with the Senate. The Senate then has a larger paper because it's Australia-wide. Yeah. Right. So, you know, some in Western Australia might have some another party. So they'll have another party. So the Senate paper has got more parties or more. With all of them combined. Yeah. Yeah. All of them combined yeah. a big piece of paper. Yeah. So you go and you vote. There's two papers. It goes into the draw and then, then they count it on the night. Mm. They count the ballot on the night, the small ballot. Yeah. The Senate is a different counting system. And I'm not familiar with that. But the small ballot papers count on the night. The similar for the state. 
Yeah, yes, yeah, so there's two elections that we, there's, every there's, two years. Um, there's a so no, so the so with the federal election, mm. there is a compulsory. It's called compulsory a numbering of the system. Mm. So you can't just put one. If you just put one on a ballot paper at a federal level, it's informal. That means yeah. your vote cannot be counted. So it's so critical that you have to number every box. So you choose the candidate that you want and then number the rest, whichever way you want. Yeah. Right? Some people might preference whoever, but and they, that's why they talk about preferencing. Mm. The preferencing is by major parties. You know, you, you, you as, an, as a voter do not have to follow how they told you, tell you to on, vote. On the papers, yeah. But as long as you number every box, right? You choose your person, you put one there, and then the rest you put two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, whatever, how many, how, however many candidates there are. That's for the federal. And the federal election is every three years or two years and a bit. Yeah. Right? So it's never full, it never goes for full three years. It, sometimes it's, it's two and a half years. Yeah, because I know we vote every like two years, but for something that it, it changes. It, it becomes two years because you feel that, say, for instance, this year you had the state election. Yeah. The state election is every four years. So you had the state election this year, and next year you're going to have the local government election. So it feels like you've got another election, but that's a local government election, which is different to the state election. Okay, so how does that one work? <laughs> okay, so the state election is every four years. Yeah. The state election on a small ballot it's not compulsory to number every box. So you only number one. But see, this if is you where, wanted to, yeah. But this is where the confusion is for people. They say, well, we're at the federal, we number. And then that's why there's a mix. So mm. what I do is I said number every box. Because if you get people into the habit of numbering every box, it, it doesn't matter, but you have to number every box on the small paper. Yeah. But at the state level, you don't have to. There is no compulsory yeah. requirement. If you number only one, it's counted. I usually do a habit of just numbering everything. Good. I exactly. Write, That's yeah. what I'm saying. To number every box, it's better that way. Mm. Um, the major parties don't like it for some reason. Don't ask me why. <laughs> don't ask me why. So what do the powers of each election hold? For your one, it was Senate and uh, so, House? So for the federal election, yeah, there's lower house and the Senate. And then for the state election, it's the lower house and the upper house. It's called the upper house. It doesn't call it Senate. But it's meant the upper house. It's like a Senate. Wait, okay, so one's lower house, one's Senate. One's lower house, upper house. Yeah. And how do they play a role with each other? The federal government, the Commonwealth, uh, we're part of the Commonwealth. The Commonwealth often, their main area is taxing. So they tax income, they tax people. Mm-hmm. And then that's where you get the money from to do the things that, such as to provide Medicare, mm-hmm. to provide NDIS, yep. to build infrastructure, so they tax you and me, those taxes, then the Commonwealth government distribute that to the state. With health, the Commonwealth gives money to the state to run their state, hospitals, health system. Yeah. And then also they focus on building major roads, infrastructure such as uh, the airport, yeah. trains. They fund things such as NDIS, Medicare, manufacturing. Not that we've got a big manufacturing sector but manufacturing and they make laws majority of the time is mm. laws the state government also collect taxes because the gov- the commonwealth government makes laws around taxing yep. and collect taxes the state government collect the taxes gst for instance yeah because that's a state tax that was an oz thing it's um a, 
a Commonwealth law, yeah. but the state collects, they collect the taxes. Okay. Yeah. So there's, yeah. <laughs> um, the state government looks after, they fund hospitals, they fund all of our health programs, schools, roads, public transport, what else? So each state would have their own budget to do their that's own right. thing. That's yeah. right. Yeah, that's right. Each state has to also be responsible for raising its own revenue. So ah. the state government raised revenue through fines, parking, through yeah, yeah. speeding fines, through GST, through stamp duty, houses, through payroll taxes, which yeah. is to be employed. Yes, yeah, so there's state taxes as well. And then there's the Commonwealth taxes as well. So uh, the Commonwealth collects petrol fuel levy tax from petrol. That's a thing. Yep. So when you so there's a tax for fuel. There is obviously import tax. Um, all of those taxes. Yeah, yeah. So okay. that's just some of the things that I know. But there, I'm sure there are other taxes that I I'm yeah. not. Yeah, well, you can see with. why people are confused. <laughs> yeah, a that's lot of right. People are going. They're still kind of not getting it. <laughs> yeah, but I think you need to understand the basic. Yeah. The basic is that as a worker, the Commonwealth will collect taxes from you, mm. and those the tax money that they collect from you will then go into a piggy bank and that piggy bank will then say, okay, we need to put aside money from, from your taxes and taxpayers' money to go into to NDIS, to Medicare, to cover mm. Medicare and all those stuff. So, you know, when people say, oh, give more money for unemployment, give more money for job seeker, give more money for housing. Yeah. It's how much you pay the taxes. Yeah, that's why they give you that... Um, info sheet about like where all your taxes went yeah. to. Yeah. So how much of your taxes will go into which area? Mm. So if you as an unemployed person, for instance, you don't pay tax. Under 18000 or something. Yeah. Like yeah. No, no. If you're on unemployment benefit, I'm talking about. Right. If you're on an unemployment benefit, that means you're not getting tax, but you're getting the tax. You're getting the money from, oh, right. yeah. from taxpayers, yeah. right? But if you're a taxpayer, if you go to work and you pay tax... That's the money that pays for the unemployment benefit. That's the money mm. that goes into paying for NDIS. So that money goes into building your school, yeah, yeah. Uh, building the roads, building the hospital. Your tax, my tax, in order to increase the money spent on those areas, that means we have to get taxed more or the government has to do something about the money that they collect from us yeah, yeah. to generate more money in order to pay for more things. Yeah, so it all, it all lines up. As me and you, as yeah. the workers, the people who work ends up the people that actually have to carry the weight of the nation and of the state. But then there are companies like global companies such as Facebook and Google or IKEA. They are global companies setting up here. Sure, they create employment opportunities here, but they generate income so much from us consumers, but they have found loopholes not to pay the tax that you yeah. as an ordinary worker pays that, yeah. more than them. So that's the whole imbalance around our tax system at the moment. Mm. I mean, I'm not a tax expert. Yeah. Um, I'm not a treasurer. I'm not an economist. I'm just understanding the simple terms of for us to pay, to do all the things, the money that we got through COVID, for instance, mm. that's because the government of the day just raided the bank and said, look, we didn't give money to people because of the whole COVID. <laughs> yeah. And now we've, we've got a huge, obviously, debt in the sense that we spent more than we saved. I mean, I suppose that's just like a household. 
you know, or a business, if you spend more than you save, you eventually have to find a way to top it up or you yeah. can go bankrupt. <laughs> so, yeah, so it's, look, I don't know if that's going to bore your listeners, but I, I'm sure that if they're a tax person or an accountant, they probably have a better understanding of that. But mm-hmm. the simple thing is that as taxpayers, we have to contribute to funding a lot of the things that we want for our society. And that's what our vote's for, to say that's where it's we, going. Yeah. Yeah, so. so that's what we vote for. We vote for, okay, I vote for you because you're going to ensure that we are heard in terms of how we are represented, in terms of how resources are spent. For instance, the toll, the toll money that gets collected from our toll, that goes into a coffer, right? Mm. The government should distribute that money that they collect into building roads and building other infrastructure. But that's, say, for instance, that's, that's the West Invest Fund. But that money that they collected from everybody out here in Southwest, we, as in the area of Fowler and Fairfield, got the least from that, even though I'm sure a lot of our drivers paid into that toll yeah. and we did not get that. So unless we have somebody here who says, listen, we want our fair share mm. and demand that and fighting and really bring attention to that issue and you know, make sure that the state government who collects the tax really do not forget a community like Fowler or Cabramatta, we will be forgotten. And that's what, that's what has happened for the decades that we've been represented because as a member, I have found that, I'm, I'm sure major parties, people who follow major parties will disagree with me, is that when you're in an area that is a safe seat for any parties, a safe Labour or Liberal, that elected member will know that they get re-elected anyway. So there's no need for them to go out there and fight and campaign for you as as a voter or you as a taxpayer because they'll just do a bit of few things. But Mm. there's no need because they know they get re-elected anyway, right? So, and in addition to that, they can't campaign against their party. They can't say... Why aren't you doing things for my yeah, community? Yeah, they can't go against them. They can't go against them. Yeah. As a safe seat or as a seat that belongs to a major party, you can't do that. Mm. So that's why it is important. Uh, I know for a, a lot of listeners out there that might not be you know, interested in politics, what I hear a lot from people is that we only just get Labour liberal anyway, so what's the point? But we do have preferential voting. It is important. There is a comic that's quite relevant that explains preferential voting in simple terms. I will link it in the description. But essentially, if you do vote for the smaller parties, your vote will trickle down because they're not a majority and it'll trickle down into whatever major party that you do side more against, whether it be Labour or Liberal. I I think it's about understanding how to make your vote count. Mm. And a lot of people over the years say, oh, I can't be bothered because it makes no difference. Yeah. But if people think that way constantly, of course it will not make a difference. But if you go in an every election and think, hang on, my vote can actually matter. Not this time, but mm. the next time. And I'm hoping that with my election as the first ever independent, for those who constantly been trying to think, oh my God, I want my vote to make a difference, that it is, it has made a difference to have somebody who's not aligned to any major parties, but who actually aligned to the community and actually speak on behalf of the community who, and who, underst- who understands the community needs to speak about it. And I think from my perspective, the work that myself and I have to say Frank, you know, our team have done out here, have given Fairfield, Fowler and Cabramatta 
an exposure that we've never had, right? An exposure in a sense that there are constant media attention here. We are able to get on that national platform or television platform or media platform to talk about our issues. In the past, Karamata was only known as the heron capital yep. of Australia. That was it. <laughs> that was it, right? So I want to change that and I want to make us as a very innovative, uh, an area that has got people who are passionate about um, business, passionate about growth, passionate about making a difference to see, to give us a different lens. Mm. Sure, we come from refugee backgrounds or, or migrant backgrounds and English is a second language, but we've got great talent here and how do we nurture that talent and and shine the light on it. And so, and so I think that my election last year and the council election in 2021 preceded mine has shown that the community said, hang on, we've got a choice to vote for none of the major parties, mm. but for vote for people who actually, who who represent us, who are from the community, who understand our community and who will fight for us. And I think that's what we've got now in Fowler. And my hope is that we'll grow that bigger and not just in Fowler. I mean, when you go into uh, you know the voting booths, uh, one of my listeners did want to know when you read one of the pamphlets and you say like, okay, I want to, let's say, increase funding to hospitals or something or... How do you even implement that? Let's say you get voted in. If someone has an election promise to do X, Y, Z, how does that get put into place? Yeah, so so my election, I hate making promises because mm. promises have to be kept or don't say things that you can't, don't mean. Uh, one of the things I said was I'm going to advocate for our hospital. I'm going to make sure that we're going to get the resources that we need. And I fought for the hospital in 2019 when I campaigned at a state level. When I campaigned at the state level in 2019, in an election as an independent, I discovered that Fairville Hospital had no Wi-Fi. In this day and age? Yep, in 2019. <laughs> and had no Wi-Fi, not just for the phone for people to use, yeah. but the most important thing is that for the medical, the doctors and the nurses yeah. to be able to communicate their electric, electronic records, health records can actually sync. It's what were they using before? Pen and, right, pen and paper and had to update everything pen and paper so to me that was a shock so i really at that stage it was the liberal government who was in who was in government mm. and i said you know so i took that brought it to the media attention and the the, the minister of the day said to me because you know he did not know about mm. that and that he will see what can be done he said if you win the election i will come out to announce it with you i said whether or not I win or not, I want to make sure that that resources is there for the for the hospital. I don't care about announcing with me. It's just not about yeah. me. <laughs> so, but I have to say that they put aside five million dollars for that. Oh, nice. And the and I've just been informed in you know in obvious, obviously I keep in touch with the executives at the hospital and the Wi-Fi implementation is finalizing this year. So oh, that wow. from 2019 to now, that's how long it takes. <laughs> Three years or four years maybe, yeah. So, so I know that there are other things that we still need to be do- done with the hospital mm. and um, the state ele- at the state election, Frank was also campaigning on the hospital and he got Chris Minns, who's another premier, to promise $115 million to the hospital. Mm. So Frank Carbone, meaning the mayor of... The mayor, yeah, yeah the mayor of Fairfield. I wrote to the, minister, to the new premier, I congratulated him and I said, look, you have promised $115 million please honour your pledge mm. and provide that funding for Fairfield Hospital because out of many hospitals, we got the least. 
right? <laughs> we got the lease in this area. So I wrote to the Premier and I also wrote to the Treasurer because the, the Federal Treasurer with mm. the budget coming up, I said, make sure that you look at how you can fund, co-fund the Fever Hospital. Now, whether or not they will do that, I don't know because mm. they are the one that holds the purse strings. But essentially it's someone that was campaigning. It's essentially that's their list of what they're going to campaign to yeah. the upper house. Yeah. Or, or, uh, so, so, so the budget is done on the lower house. Yeah. This treasurer is in the lower house. So he will allocate. He will look at the budget. The budget is next month. They will tell us. We will look at to see what our area will get. Right? We might get zero. You know, like, oh, will we <laughs> see? Happens, so oh, yeah, often, often. Wait, seriously? Zero as in there's no money into major infrastructures they're here. Yeah. Because it has been a safe seat, so there's no need to. Oh, wow. They don't, so when you're safe, no level of governments will put money in a safe seat. Mm. They might give you a trickle of little things, but not major funding because they know that you're going to vote for them anyway. So why would they bother? Interesting. I've never thought of it that way. Yep. So where they focus a lot, and this is where I think successive governments have, I think, have not managed the economy well, is that they fund what they call marginal seats. Mm-hmm. Marginal seats are seats that swing between government, between one party to the next at every single election. For some reason, they think give more money there and then they'll, we'll keep the votes, we'll keep that seat. And I'm thinking, if you actually, there's a pie, if you divided it equally, and if you want to give a marginal seat extra money, you can still do that. But if you think about the needs of the rest of the country, I'm sure if we can think about how we budget it well, we will get things, like we will get a hospital here if we have the money rather than pouring all into one area. Do you know what I mean? But that's what government, that's what governments just do continuously. Maybe I'm just thinking of this in simple terms, but wouldn't a strategy be like they give you no funding and it seems like you're not doing anything and then people won't vote for you? I don't know if that's No, a, no, that doesn't work that way. Because it's safe... Yeah. Like if it's an area that's safe for Labour and Liberal, they know that people will just go and vote for them constantly. So unless they have somebody who's a community independent who's really constantly activating, like constantly making that issue, uh, yeah. then they know that majority of people just want to get go in and vote and get it out of the way. Yeah, <laughs> not get fined. Yeah. Not get fined. And if they voted one way from their grandparents around to the, their kids, they know that they'll vote that way anyway. Right, yeah. so, they, so that's why they're thinking, they know. They, that's because our human, we as human beings, we are on automatic pilot. We do things automatically. We yeah. do not think. We do not assess. I mean, you know, now and then we do, but the majority of time we get into a routine and we stick to that routine. Sometimes routines are great, but sometimes routines such as going to vote the same way is bad, yeah. right? I mean, exercise routine is great because you're consistent. Yeah. But if you're consistent in other areas, so there's a conflict there for human beings in the first place anyway. I think it's a lot of um, just how we're raised as Asians. Uh, I used to just follow whatever my parents voted yeah, for. And yeah. They were just like, oh, it's liberal and, and labor. And you it. vote for labor because yeah. they were, they're for the workers, but liberals for the business. I'm like, oh, okay, that sounds simple. But it's not like that at all. It's not. <laughs> Once I looked it's into not. it and it's I just not. started there's, doing my own thing now. There, there's no such thing as labor for la- workers and liberals for business because at the end of the day, the party should be for the people, full stop, hmm. right? For the people. Our community... In the past, a lot of our people have been on unemployment benefit. 
on pensions, on all of those like uh, public government, funded, yeah. yeah, government um, handouts. Yeah. Therefore, when there's a threat that is going to be taken away, Labor would often say, "If you vote for that person, they'll take." I remember during my state campaign, 2019, I think it was when I campaigned. They said, "Oh, if you vote for Di Lee, she'll take away Medicare." <laughs> First of all, Medicare is a Commonwealth thing, and I can't take away anything. Yeah. It's it's the government system. You know, the Medicare is there. No one can take the Medicare system away. See, that's the thing. People won't get that. No. But they say, oh, you vote for Di, she's going to stop the Medicare. <laughs> but then our community did not even think about... Yeah, you don't question it. Didn't yeah. question. Because we don't question. We think, how is that possible? How yeah. can one, one person, person. <laughs> go in there and stop Medicare? It's a government Commonwealth system. Yeah. Right? So that's an example. Or they stop your pension. They take away your, she'll mm. take away your pension, especially for the elderly. Or she's going to take away your pension. She, you won't get enough money. Really? <laughs> Have I got that much power? That's new. <laughs> I wish I did, but I don't. You know, my role is to make sure that we are not left behind. My mm. role is to make sure that we get the resources for our community to develop. Be it your business, a young person, or a worker that you don't get taken advantage of as a worker. So I find that so funny. I'm thinking, really? And so my aim is, like I said, I'm going to. I'm going to educate our community through, hopefully, through my obviously sharing social media and through what you're doing, hopefully, mm. is to educate people about what it means to have a voice in parliament and an independent voice. Because if you're part of a party, you will not have a voice. I can guarantee you that. <laughs> Interesting. Yeah, because I know there's uh, there's a whole bad stigma behind doing that voting against your party because then that shows up also on how they vote on that website yeah 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 how they vote that's right yeah and so the the liberal party actually is different to the labor party as a liberal if you're part of a major of a liberal party you can actually cross the floor when it comes to a legislation state or federal and you do disagree you can have a conscience vote which means you will not support your party but the labor party can't do that the labor party mm. It's a socialist structure, so you have to follow what the leader tells you. Right. You cannot cross the floor. If you cross the floor, you're out of the party. The liberal, you don't have, you, you don't lose your party membership. You stay with the party as long as you, you know. Mm. So, but yeah, so that's the difference between the two, the two major parties. Since the 2022 Australian election, um, there's been an increase in diversity. I did get this stat from Erin when HU on LinkedIn. Asians now make up 5.3% of parliament, which is up from 3.3% in 2019. What do you think are some of the benefits of having more Asian representation in parliament, both for Asian Australians and for society? Look, I think diversity of talent, be it in parliament, be it in corporate, be it in business, diversity of perspectives is really important. So you have to have differences of ideas in order to really it challenges the system because if you have everybody thinking the same way, saying the same thing, yeah, it, yeah. It's can, it's, it can be stale, right? Yeah. Uh, so I, I really welcome the fact that our parliament is now have more diverse faces representing, yeah. representing our electorates. The only caveat I will have is that when you're part of a party, you can't speak out. Right. You cannot say something if your party 
put up a legislation that you're against mm. and that will not benefit your own community. So while there is diversity of faces in the current government, they have to sing from the same song sheet of their leaders. They can't go out there and advocate for something mm. that they strongly believe in. They can't advocate for changes in a piece of legislation that not might benefit a culturally diverse community. Yeah. So that is that is the only caveat I would have in terms of I would prefer to see more diversity in the independence because mm. that's where you can actually see changes to legislations because those independent voices it is a challenge I'm not saying it's easy work yeah <laughs> I, 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 I mean I don't think the major parties would like to see that happening yeah because imagine if you have so many different cultural groups that are independents mm. and they're representing the different seats they can think it's oh my god it's going to have a majority vote right yeah. and how to make legislations change legislation so I yeah. can understand the challenge in that but but I think there's always order and chaos I think there is Eventually, through that chaos, you will f- there is no chaos, but the, through a chaos such as that, you'll get some great ideas, you'll get some great traction in policies and changes to our society. In your view, what, what are some of the main challenges faced by Asian Australians who may want to enter politics and how can these challenges be addressed? The challenges for many Asian Australians to enter politics is self-confidence and self-belief. I'd say also parents as well. <laughs> uh, well, self-confidence and the environment, the family yeah. environment. Um, one, I think if you don't know how to navigate, if you join a party and you don't know how to navigate the political, mainstream political system mm. of that party, you'll be just used as a fodder to do fundraising, to go out and campaigning, but to get any kind of leadership position will be a challenge. I think that is changing a bit. I'm yet to see how some of the Asian Australians who got elected at state and federal in the current government, state and federal, if they can make an impact in their community and in what they want, in what they see. Yeah. Uh, I, I don't know, you know, obviously, but I do know the restrictiveness of becoming, of being part of a party because you cannot be a f- free floating spirit to speak out when you disagree with something yeah because my perspective is how do you just register and just start putting your name on the ballot how does Um, that even work it's hard to so if you want to run as an independent independent let's say i I want to so so i'll give you an example kevin lamb yes kevin kevin uh met me uh reach out sought me out 2015 Uh, for context who is who is he for the listeners Kevin Lam uh, is a young uh, Vietnamese Australian. He's a town planner, and uh, he um, he came to see me in 2015, saying, "Oh, I saw what you did, and I really want." At that stage, I was, you know, I had been campaigning since 2008, and he he wants to run as an independent, and um, he went and spoke with me, spoke with other MPs in the area. And he said that I was the person that actually really listened to him genuinely and mm. gave him time. He goes, he wants to run as an independent. And how, how does it do that? I said, oh, we have to register. Wouldn't that run against you or am I thinking of something else? So, so I, t- I explained. So I had a brand then, you know, I had a brand in Cabramatta and Fairfield. So I knew that 
if he ran, he would take some votes away. But I said, I don't, I don't know if you'll get elected, right? Because you knew, but if you ran on my ticket, I can't guarantee that you get elected, but you'll lift your profile up. Right. This is in 2015. He said, no, 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 I, I want... I, I'm going to run on my own because I really want to do this. You know, I didn't want to be aligned with anybody. And I said, that's f- fair enough because I understand that, right? Mm. But I thought, oh, God. I said, how are you going to do this? You know, like, this you is going to be hard. conflict. <laughs> yeah, I said, how does... And, um, and he registered because when you want to run at a local level, mm. there'll be information on the Electoral Commission to tell you what you need to do if you've never done it before. Oh, right. Right? Yeah. Um, and you need to form a ticket. You need to have six names on it. Then you need to register your ticket. And, you know, it was his first time and he did it. Yeah. And he did a very good campaign. I mean, for an independent, he spent money in putting out the posters, T-shirts. That's ordered. all his own money. Yeah, 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 his own money. And I think he said he spent about, I can't remember, a few thousand dollars. Oh you know, God. just order a few t-shirts, few few A-frames and how, how to vote. Yeah. He got about 2,000 votes. 2,000. Two, funding for each vote, right? No. Local, you do not get any money. Oh. It's your own money. money you put out, your investment. It's yeah. like a bill bra- brand building. Yeah. That's it. You put money into marketing and that's it. You don't mm. get anything back. And he got about, I think, 2,000 votes. I think. can't remember around that. But he did not get elected. Mm. I thought to myself... Oh my God, if he had gone to me under my ticket, I think he would have just scraped up. I think that's so. We so that was in 2016 when he ran on his own. Yeah. Subsequently, after he finished that, he came to see me. He said, Look, you were right. I should have ran with you. And I said, Okay, well, are you prepared to do the hard work? That means you have to help me with my campaign for the state election, which was in 2019. Yeah. I'm going to put you in charge of it. Of course, he was like, okay, I'll do it. You know, I mean, there were a few mistakes, but anyway, we, we, we did it ourselves. Yeah, and, yeah. Um, and he had to man the booth, help find volunteers to man the booth with me and mm. all that stuff. So 2019. And then in 2021, he ran on my ticket and yeah, he got elected. So I got two people elected, myself and him, and I got mm. one person elected in another ward. What does it mean by r- running under your ticket? Oh, so, run, so basically on a ticket, you have to have, for council, you have to have six names on the ticket yeah. to register a full ballot paper at the local government you have to have a team right so it's sort of like like assistance or something no 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 it's just a, you have to have so you can't register a ballot paper for local government yeah unless you have six names on the ballot paper but who's, who's how do you determine whose names are on that if it's just uh, it's friends and so with Kevin I said yeah. to him you number two and fingers crossed that you're going to get elected and so my, I'm number one, yeah. he's number two, and then three, four, five, six can't get elected anyway because you're running with many candidates. You had part Labour, you had Liberal, you had mm-hmm. other independents, so then the votes get split in a community. Anyways, it's hard to explain um, that. But So he ran, he's on my ticket, and I had six other names, and then, um, yeah, he got elected in 2021, so with me. So he, he runs with your party? Yes, he, we ran as an so I had a name, the Dai Li Party. So that oh, was, yeah. Right. yeah. Well, I think we'll get more info once you start yeah. creating your, your videos yeah. <laughs> to sort of explain it. this a bit better. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So you faced that challenge when you were, or someone was campaigning saying you're going to remove Medicare. Oh, yeah. um, what other challenges have you faced in your political career? Oh. What else do you run into? <laughs> Probably media, I'm There's guessing. There's so many. There's so many. <laughs> I don't know where to start. 
you know, obviously this is a safe Labor seat, or was, mm. and there's always that intention for Labor wants to get back, want to win this back. They want to win it back, right? Yeah. The same with council. It's a, it was supposed to be a safe Labor council, and now it's an independent. So, of course, the Labor Party wants to win it back. Yeah. So there will be always things that they spread, you know, rumours. Mm. A lot of things in politics is about rumours. It's about, like, me cutting Medicare, or me supporting the communists, um, like everything. Yeah, they, there will be always something that's out there attacking me or me being too Someone right. trying to find something. Yeah, they're always, the yeah, yeah, yeah. They're always, you know, me being uh, right wing or whatever. <laughs> look, I, 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 I don't look at that. I don't bother. I just focus on what I have to do in this mm. office, work with a team, ensuring that we are connected with the community, ensuring that we address the issues, yeah. ensuring that we work to resolve issues that people come to see us and deliver on that and just get the community connected to the political space so that they can actually, you know, I've been holding various childcare forum, NDIS, a vet forum yesterday, mm. so they understand what the needs are. And, you know, people have not been brought together before by anyone. And they sit and think, oh, my God, this is so good that we're talking with one another because otherwise we're working in silo. <laughs> and I'm providing that platform for them. I'm bringing people together mm. because sometimes we can't rely on the government to resolve everything. We have to resolve things ourselves as well. Yeah. All right, just because uh, we're running a bit out of time, we're just going to speed run a few some of these questions to get to know Dai a little. Uh, favourite restaurant in Cabramatta? Favourite restaurant in Cabramatta? Yeah. Oh, my God. <laughs> There's so many. Um, you have to pick one. Oh, my God. One? <laughs> oh, no. Uh, I suppose the crispy chicken, the Tan Viet noodle. Tan Viet, beautiful. Yeah. Um, favorite food? Oh, general. <laughs> I love food generally, Tung. I just love food. <laughs> I go and test everybody's food from Cambodian noodles to banh mi to, you know, Laotian uh, uh, guy. You know the yeah. the, the, the papaya <laughs> thing. Uh, I just love food. You can't ask me which one dish. Oh, I'm right. a food lover. <laughs> All right, we can't. We'll say we'll, you abstain from that one. Um, sugar cane or milk tea? Ooh, milk tea. Milk tea. Yeah, mm. milk more tea. of a sugar cane. Probably. Favorite milk tea then? Ah, oh, favorite milk tea. Like taro or something. Taro. Yeah, probably taro. But no, no, no. Okay, I'll go back. Not um, not sugar cane, not milk tea, but takapuksimoi. Which one's that? Oh, it's a green plum <laughs> thing. It's dakoksimoi. It's very nice. I'll it's have to list that in the description. Yeah, yeah. Dakoksimoi. Nukoksimoi. Nukoksimoi. It's called nukok. It's a green fruit. It's not pennywort, right? It's no, no, else. no. It's a green fruit. You go down across uh, do the Cabra Juice place. Yeah. Oh, there's another one on John Street mm. uh, near the train station. As for nukoksimoi. It's very nice. It's oh. kind of sour, sweet, salty. All right, I'll try. I'll That's give my that favorite go. one. Uh, fur or bumboi? Bumboi. Same as well. Do you put sauce in your fur? My fur? Yeah, do you put oh, it in Oh, yes. There? I put uh, the hoisin sauce and the chili oh, sauce. That's a sin. Sorry, I'm going to disagree on that <laughs> one. No. You're making me slightly <laughs> hungry. Uh, favourite TV show or movie? TV show. I hardly watch TV nowadays, but... Um, yeah, it doesn't seem like you have much time. I anymore. don't have time for TV, but sometimes when I need a bit of a laugh, it's um, the one with the scientific... Those Big Bang Theory? The Big Bang Theory. Oh, okay. Yeah, and it gives me a laugh. Movie. <gasps> The movie that had a la- left a big impact on me is the the testing about the Stanford the Stanford oh, um, Stan- prison experiment. Yeah, the Stanford yeah. prison experiment. That was Very interesting. yeah, that was about how human being how when we can test put them in a situation yeah. how they can become cruel. That's that's a powerful um, a film for me. Yeah, 
I'll link that all in the description. Uh, last one. Um, you just bought a bun meat it and a thief has run past and snatched it from your hands. Do you chase them with A, a questionably conditioned 2006 Toyota Camry with an engine light? B, an Asian mobility scooter? C, your two legs? Or D, cut your losses, buy another and hope they don't run past the second time? Oh my God, I'll get my handbag out and whack them in the head and go the, past the me. Secret, <laughs> secret option E, the handbag. Yeah, that's right. All right, thank you, Dali, for joining us. Um, if you need to reach out and have any questions to me, you can reach me at riceandmikespodcast.gmail.com or uh, message me on one of our socials. Usually Instagram is fine. Where can we find more info about yourself? Uh, uh, obviously, I'm on Instagram, on TikTok, on Facebook, on LinkedIn, on IG. And my office is here in Cabramatta, in the heart of Cabramatta, um, level 2, 24 to 32 Hugh Street, Hugh Street, Cabramatta. But I'm always in the community. So please do not get – if you see me walking, please pop up and say hello because I know people are scared <laughs> to approach me. Because you seem like more of a powerful figure now. I, I, I don't. I'm, not, I'm normal. I'm normal. I, I keep on saying I've just got the MP initial, but I'm yeah. just actually an ordinary person. Have exactly, I'm like everybody else. So please do not feel scared to come up and say hello and ask me questions or have an issue to race with me. All right, fantastic. Thank you, Dai, for joining us on this episode. We'll catch you guys in the next one. See you then. Bye. See ya. Bye.